Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Wow, you guys are always lively. I really enjoy that about you guys. So you having a good day so far? Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, somebody's really having a great morning over there. Um, well, uh, we, are, are, we are starting a new series today. I, I mentioned it to you the last two weeks, I believe. And um, it's called The Final Act. And we're going to take each day of the last week of Jesus' life. Today we begin with Sunday, with the Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. But <clears throat> before I, I get into that, let me just tell you what I want us to do. I want to challenge all of you, challenge myself to do this I want us, because this series ends on Easter Sunday. That's the last message. So it'll culminate with a resurrection message. And what I want us to do from right now on is, if you take the, the, the opportunity to do this, I would challenge you and me every week. Take a day and fast. I want you to fast for lost souls. I want you to fast for people that have backslidden to come back to God. I want you to focus your fast even more on people that you care about, coworkers, friends, family, whatever, that you want to see come to salvation. Amen? Amen. I want you to focus it that way every week. And we're going to do this every week. You can pick whatever day you want. Now, let me share with you about fasting. Fasting is not just, I'm going without food. You have to couple that with the spiritual life also, like reading your Bible or praying. You don't have to spend hours in prayer. But you've got to take a little bit of time and spend before God with your Bible that day and you pray and you petition and you tell God, God, this is why I'm fasting. This is the purpose because I want to see people saved and I want to see this person saved and this person saved. I want the goal in the back of your mind to point towards Easter that you're going to attempt to get that person or persons here on that Sunday morning, Easter Sunday. I don't know if this is still true, but I would think it's still a pretty decent percentage. But 20 years ago, they did surveys, and they said if you would invite a person to church, that that 60-some percent of people would go to church if they just got an invitation. And so Easter might be a day where it's even more on steroids, where people would like, yeah, I'll go if somebody invited me. So I want us to move that way. Now, fasting. I know some of you medically, you cannot fast all day. I, I got it. But you might be able to fast one meal and take that time just to pray. Just to pray. And pray for what we've mentioned. For others of us, um, it's new. So maybe you can go, you know, 12 hours in a day without food and, and take a time to pray. Others of us, we can go the 24 hours. Now, when you fast, you can go just drinking water if you want to or you can do juice it depends which way you want to go juice fast you eliminate food you just drink juice water you eliminate everything just drink water but i'm going to explain this to you for the next couple weeks and i'm going to challenge you every week to fast and then next sunday we have a next step we're going to take in this are you guys with me on that say amen if you are okay we want to see people saved this is the a timely time now So today we're going to talk about the triumphal entry. Oh, first I want to put the verse, new verse this week. 
And I want you, this one I want you to memorize. We'll explain a little bit as we go along each week. Would you repeat this one after me? Read it out loud. Here we go. One, two, three. There is fear and love. <clears throat> Cast out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. Now, when it says there, the word love is, is agape love. That's God's agape love. That's the spiritual love of God where you choose the, the, the highest good. You choose the best for yourself and for everyone else. There's no selfish. Leave that verse up there, please. I still need it. There's no um, selfishness in that verse. You choose the best for others. Now, it says that we're to have perfect love. So that means that the word perfect means to be of age, like a real mature, like a moral character. So we need to be of, of maturity in, in, of our love for others, our God love uh, that says I'm gonna choose the highest good for other people, including myself. Now, when I walk in that perfect kind of love and that mature love of God, there are certain things and benefits to our individual lives, which we'll talk about next week, okay? I can't give you it yet. So we're good so far? Okay, good. Let's talk about the triumphal entry this morning. Some of you, probably not many of you, um, Remember that um, <clears throat> back in the 80s, from 1980 to 1991, there was an annual Easter play in Corona, uh, and uh, I played Jesus. How many remember that from a Wow, raise your hand. I, I'm got, raise your hand if you, you saw that. So raise your hand if you saw that. You could even wave, Ruby. That's okay. You, you said traumatized? Wow. Wave if you remember that. Yeah, yes, youth groupers out there. I see you all right there. Okay. Yeah, I, I, yes, yes, Steve. Uh, you played Barabbas one year, and good. Um, um, but um, but I, I would play this part every year, and, uh, and somebody asked me 15 years ago, uh, do you think you'd ever go play that again? Now, mind you, 15 years ago, I said, uh, those files are closed. Jimmy doesn't put on a diaper anymore in public like that. <laughs> Days of social media, can you imagine all that right there? That is just not going to happen in Jimmy's life ever, ever, ever again. And everybody said? Amen. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> so we, the, one of the greatest times of, of the performance was, uh, you know, and I'd grow my beard out and I'd grow the long hair and, and the whole thing. I re always remember opening nights, but one in particular opening night, it was 1983. I will never forget it because... We had written this scene, and, 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 the, and I'm standing behind the curtain, and if you know me, I'm always bobbing back and forth. And I'm waiting for that curtain to open, and it opens up, and then you're really, then you're Jesus, right? And then, so I start quoting from Matthew chapter 5. Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And as soon as I said that, the Pharisee, the chief Pharisee, would say, how dare you, really loud. And then the audience out here, there's a crowd of people like I'm talking to on stage. Then you hear this scream 
from behind the crowd, and the crowd just scatters, and here come, I remember writing the scene, I was so excited to see it on stage, um, the, here comes this demon-possessed man just coming through the crowd, and he's like psycho, it was so awesome, and it was played by my nephew Rob, so here comes my nephew, that's a family affair, right, so he's, he's come grab us over there, another family member, but my nephew Rob's coming through, and he's like psycho, and I remember the, that was opening night, he'd stop on the stage, catwalk, but I remember the last night, of all the performances of that year, I told him, this time I want you to go to the cattle, jump off into the crowd, okay, and see what happens. I remember he did it, he jumps off, and the viewer were like, ah, and they're all moving backwards, and when he would get to a point, I would say, Satan! And he would stop, you know, and he'd turn back at me, and he starts coming at me, and he's running at me, and I go, silence, and bam, he would drop to the ground. And then, of course, I'd calmly say, come out of him. And somebody gave me 20 bucks to cast some demons out. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'd say, come, come out of him, and the demon would come out of him, and he's all right and everything. And it was one of the greatest, greatest intro, intro scenes that I, was ever got to be, I ever got to be a part of during that time. And it kicked off that whole performance. It was the first, the opening act. And back then, all the years, I probably died and rose from the dead over 200 times in all those years, okay? So, um, but it was an opening scene. And today, we've got the opening scene of this series. We're going to look at mm, Jesus' entry in, into, into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. Now, let me give you some points of interest, just to give them to you. You guys like that kind of stuff, right? Okay. Luke, the writer, because we're going to be in Mark 11. Luke says that as Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem before he comes to this moment, says he's determined to go to Jerusalem. Literally, your King James, if you have one, says he set his face like a flint. In other words, he knows what he's coming for. He's got his purpose down, and he's on a direct path to get there. Now, that's a very interesting statement because if you do not know what your purpose is and what God wants you to do, all you're going to do is wander and you will not set your place like a flint. You will not be determined or know exactly what you're supposed to do. Any amens of that one right there? Now, another thought I want to throw at you that I'll cover more intently in two weeks is, um, is that in Exodus chapter 12, when they institute Passover, they're to get the lamb four days before they sacrifice the Passover lamb. One of the reasons is to inspect the lamb for any blemishes because it had to be perfect to be sacrificed. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem, as we'll be reading, he is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And if you watch that whole last week of Jesus' life, and we'll see it in the coming weeks, the Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, they question him and they try to trap him. So in a sense, they are testing the Passover lamb that comes to take away our sins. Amen to that one? I'll leave it at that. I'll give you more in two weeks. Now, but the coolest thing, point of interest, I want to give you is this. This is Palm Sunday. The day before is the Sabbath, and everybody rests. They don't do anything. They just rest. On Palm Sunday, the Bethlehem shepherds, which is so many miles away, they would now, they're driving thousands and thousands and thousands of sheep into Jerusalem for Passover, for people to get their Passover lamb. So on that day that Jesus comes riding in on the colt, and all a colt is, it means the, it's a relative, small baby, younger relative of a donkey. It's the colt. So as they're driving thousands of, 
of, of, of sheep, lambs into Jerusalem. Here comes the Lamb of God riding in on this young colt. See the picture? On the one hand, you have thousands of lambs coming to be sacrificed like every year, and all they're going to do is cover sin for one year. God winks at sin. He closes his eye for a year because it's not a true sacrifice. It's not, a, it's not the God-man. But Jesus will come in and he will be sacrificed for mankind's sins. His blood will not cover sins. It will cleanse sins for all time. And so you see this whole uh, picture of him coming in Jerusalem. One side they're coming this way. The other side's coming in through this way. So with that said... Let me say, we're going to get into now. Mark, I have five points. And you are automatically thinking what? There's no way I can do that, huh? Yeah, and that's a, that's a big question, too, for me. Because most of you have been a long time. You know, I, I like to talk, you know, and teach and stuff. So I usually do three because that's about, that's about all I can cover. In that but five points. Now, here's how I'm going to do it in this series most of the time. And today is in particular. Each point, I'm going to read the scripture after I give you the point. The point's the application, but I'm going to give you the what. I'm going to give you what's going on literally, and then I'm going to give you an application because that's the way you do it. You've got to figure out, you've got to know what is actually happening, and once you get the actual happening, now you can take what, is, what it meant to the original hearers, then you can have an application bridge, and you can bring it forward into our lives today, and we can apply it to our lives. Does that make sense? That's what a good preacher has to do all the time to make it sense for you right now, today, applicable. So the what, then the application. So number one, there's five things. I hope you take notes. Here it is. Jesus trusted his team. Jesus trusted his team. Now look at Mark 11. I'm going to read verses 1 and verse 2. And it says this. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one yet has ever sat. Say, ever sat? Okay, it's going to come back in a little bit. Untie it and bring it here. Now, here's what I want to bring out of this. The what is this? He sends two of his disciples. He sends two of them. Go get the colt because I'm going to need that to ride into Jerusalem. I want you guys to go get it. I'm trusting you guys to go get that, okay? So he sends them off to go get it. Now, here's the application that we can draw from this first little statement here. Something, it took me years to get this. I mean, literally years to understand. Literally years to practice this. And and that is this. You got to trust your team. How many of you in a position where you have people underneath you? You're in a kind of an authority position. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. You have to trust your team, don't you? You you have to trust them enough that they're going to do the job. You cannot be a controlling micromanager. Am I right? I I did that for a long time. I I did that for years Uh, because I I grew up a controller. And and you got to watch out because... I remember, you will give yourself all kinds of, what we call it, noble-sounding reasons why you need to micromanage everything. Won't you do that? You got to be careful with stuff like that because once you start micromanaging everyone and you don't trust the people underneath you, number one, you're going to send a message to them 
that they are, in your mind, incompetent. You can't trust them. Secondly, all creativity will be left to you. How many know that's dangerous? And another one is that person will never grow. That person, they will never grow and be able to manage difficult situations. They will come to the point where they are afraid to make any little decision on the spot because you are micromanaging everything in their lives. Some of you do it at home. Am I right? Yeah. You drive them crazy, friends. See, I get you. The lamp should be there, right? But today it's right there. Who moved the lamp? And it drives you in. Am I anybody? Am I talking to anybody? Yeah, and then you've got to give a whole seminar on why the lamp is there, right? Because you're controlling everything. This, look guys, this doesn't even matter, okay? And you've got to learn things like that. So you've got to let go of the control. Let me tell you, if, you're, if you have a business organization, your organization uh, will never grow. It will not grow because you won't let go. And Jesus trusted these guys to go get that little colt. That colt's real important, as we'll see in, ver- in point two. And point two is this. Point two is Jesus valued practical behind-the-scenes ministry. Notice verse 2 again. Let's all read it together. You read on the screen, I'll read in my Bible. One, two, three. And said to them, come on guys, go into the village opposite you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Say, ever sat? Okay, good. Um, Untie it and bring it here. Now, Jesus values. Here's the what. They are sent to get the colt, correct? Two guys sending him. Question. Does Jesus have to have that colt? Does he have to have a colt? He has to have it. Do you know why he has to have it? Because 500 years before this moment, Zechariah wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the Messiah would ride in on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It has to happen. There's no, no, no other way out of this. And so he sends them on this practical ministry to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy. He's got to fulfill the prophecy. Now, what's the application for you and I? I get to stand up here and I get to teach you. And, And I just relish the opportunity every week. It's just for me, it's like Sunday mornings, Tuesday teaching, men's breakfast. I just, I, 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 you, I couldn't even express to you how much I love it. But the only reason I get to do this is because so many of you are involved in practical ministry in the church. Amen? Amen. That's just a fact of life. <clears throat> Some of you are out there and you're greeting at the door and you're giving the, you know, the smile to people. The Ask Me guys are walking around and making sure everything's cool out there. Many of you, you're in the kids' classes either teaching or assisting. 
My gosh, one of the greatest things for me is when I drive up early Sunday mornings here and I see people volunteering and they're picking up the trash all over that's been dumped here by who knows who, but they pick it up so everything's clean for you guys. You guys never see that. You guys get to walk out like last week and you see all the community markets set up out there and all the bags. Do you think it got there because somebody blinked their eyes? There is a group of people that come here Thursday and they organize set everything up, set it in here, and then Sunday morning, then they come early and they move it out there with the tables, get everything set up so that you can come and just pick up a bag, take it home, or pick up a bag of food and give it to somebody that needs food. You see, there's all this practical ministry that just goes on, and there's so much. I, I know I'm leaving people, but there's so much. Now, let me, let me just tell you why, what, what's so cool about this practical, practical ministry. Jesus sends his disciples. Um, uh, Bob, I used you before on this illustration. I can't use you again because you told me somebody's asked you that question before, and now you know what it is. Okay, so let me let me ask um, let me ask uh, let me ask uh, Brad. Can I use you? Okay, Brad. Has anyone ever come up to you and said you have a beautiful liver? <laughs> he said his doctor has. They don't count, but he doesn't. Okay, no one's ever said that, huh? But here's the deal, right? If you don't have that liver, you don't live. Okay, now keep that thought. There's a difference between prominent and significance in church. I get to stand up here and teach, preach the word of God. I'm very prominent, right? Because you see me. You see me. I, I performed a wedding on Friday up in Lytle Creek. And... I, you know, because it was so warm up there. Um, and so, um, and, and I, I walk up there and people go, Pastor Jim, Pastor Jim, you know, and they're telling me this. And, and another young guy goes, Pastor Jim, we moved six years ago to, I think, Murrieta High, if you're watching. And we watch you every Sunday still for six years, every Sunday. And every, everybody knew me, you know, the people that knew me from, they all know me. So I'm very prominent, right? So I got to go up and do a half hour comedy. No, I didn't do that. And then so I do that, but I'm prominent. But all, everybody who ministers behind the scenes, stuff like that, they are livers. They're significant. You're significant. And without you, the body of Christ, the church dies. You could live without me. I'm prominent. I'm like cutting off a hand. But you can't live without you who are significant because you're the practical behind the scenes ministry people. Does that make sense? And Jesus, he sends his disciples to go get that little colt. This is a practical behind-the-scenes ministry. Things are not going to happen unless they go get that. He's trusted them with a very, very, very big deal. Now, let's move on. Are we good on that one so far? Okay, point three. Jesus is always one step ahead of us. He's always one step ahead of us. Probably like about 100,000 steps ahead of us. But let's look at verses three through six. It says this. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Now, if anyone asks you why you're taking the little colt, you say, well, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. Okay, now, the what? They obey. Okay, Jesus, you want us to go get the cold? We got it. We're going to go get the cold. Question, how would you feel? 
How would you feel if you're one of those two disciples and you're walking over there and you know you've got to get somebody's colt and untie it. It's not yours. You don't know the person, but when you see it, you're going to untie it and take it. How would you feel? It's kind of a dicey mission you're sending me on, Jesus. What are you trying to get me in trouble? Luke, the writer of the same story, says that because when the people ask him, hey, they start untying, they go, hey, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? You know, because you have a neighborhood watch. How many are married to a neighborhood watch person? Not officially, but you know. But they are, that person doesn't belong in this neighborhood. I am married to one, okay? I go, babe, they're just walking by, okay? Oh, no. So, somebody out there really is married to one, okay? So, um, and so Luke says it was the owners when they saw them untying the colt, the owners say, hey, what do you do with that? And they say, well, the Lord has need of it? Oh, okay, go ahead, take it. That, that's fine. And you realize in that moment this, what looked like a blind step of faith was really a prearranged Holy Spirit moment. Am I right? Oh, yeah. There was really no reason to be afraid, was there? Because it was a prearranged Holy Spirit. This, listen, listen. This is what missionaries understand. A missionary is not taking Jesus to a foreign country. Like Jesus is sitting here in America going, I wish I could go there. No, he's not. Jesus is already there. And he's waiting for the missionary to go there and meet him. See, Jesus has already witnessed, shared with that person you bumped into at Lowe's. You don't know them. You catch a conversation, start a conversation. He's already talking to that person. You just have now met Jesus there in the moment, and now you bring up faith. You got me? You got me. These are prearranged Holy Spirit moments. So here's how we apply it to our lives. You don't have to fear. Some of you go, I just can't volunteer because I don't know what I'm doing. Jesus is already in the position waiting for you there. Did you catch me on that? You say, I, I, I don't know. No, no, he's waiting for you. He's already there for you to please start serving in the church somewhere. Start being a person who now enters in fully in your life. Now, with that said, you guys want a, couple, a sidebar? Yes. Sir. yes yeah. Do you? Okay. 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 The colt. Has anyone ever sat on it? It's brand new, huh? The tomb that Jesus will be buried in. Anyone ever been buried in there before? The womb that Jesus will be born in. Virgin womb. Yeah. Everywhere from the the womb to his tomb to the cult everything no one's ever used that before it's all virgin it's all new where the messiah is going to be isn't that wild i think that's pretty cool thought right there now now let's take this even further still in sidebar um so let's say you're these the the disciples and you're going to go and tie the cult and the people that live there they got a big picture window and they're eating dinner at the family and, and they they look outside and you're untying the colt. Has anyone ever sat on the colt? They have never ridden it, correct? It's like for you and I, it's like a brand new car. Quickly, three of you, raise your hand. If you could have any car brand new in the whole world, what would it be? 
A Ferrari. Was that? Fer- you ever watch Ford versus Ferrari? Yeah. Great movie. A Ferrari. What else? Back there. Lamborghini. Lamborghini. We have a re- we have a church that has high taste. Okay. <laughs> I get. Okay. One more. Anybody? Right there. Corvette. Corvette. Okay. So let's pretend your Ferrari or your Corvette, your Lamborghini. That's the one out. In- Carvana has just dropped it off. <laughs> and there it is. And then here comes these two guys that you don't know, and they get in and. How would you feel? It's your brand new car. You've never even ridden, you've never driven it. How would you feel? Would you be okay with that? They are. It leads to a question, doesn't it? Does Jesus really own everything you and I have? Yes. No, really, does he? Yes. It's the real question of are you a disciple or just a Christian? Which are you? Because the disciple knows that everything I have, everything I am, everything I possess, everything I've earned, it belongs to Christ. And that's, it's just that simple. It says in the Bible, he's given us the power to make wealth. He's given us the brain to be able to do these things. You say, well, I did it. Really? Did you create air? Did you create your lungs? Did you do any of those things? No. He's done it all. And he's given us the ability to do that, and he owns everything. Amen to that one? Amen. Okay, good. Now I can move past the sidebar. Number four. Um, Jesus cannot be boxed into one methodology. You can't box him into one methodology. Now, I'm going to read verses 7 through 10 in the story. Now watch this very closely, and then I'll explain it. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road. And others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 10. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Coming kingdom. They're looking for a kingdom to be installed right now, correct? We'll get there in a little bit. Now, You can't box Jesus into a methodology. Now, let me explain what I mean. Give me, I'll give you the what. They lay their coats on top of the <clears throat> Ferrari, and they throw the coats out on the road in front of your Corvette and Lamborghini, so you could drive right over. Why do they do that? Well, if, you, if you're taking notes, if you're taking notes. 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13. They did that back then for a certain king to welcome the king and to state their loyalty to this king in Israel. That's why they're doing it. So they're drawing from an Old Testament application. They say, Hosanna! They're screaming, Hosanna! Hosanna literally means God save us right now. Not tomorrow. Not next week, but we want to be saved right now. They want to be saved from the Roman oppressors. Rome is, is, they're the oppressors right now. That's why I said the kingdom of our father David. We want that ushered in. They take leafy branches and they're waving, probably palm branches, and they're waving them in the road. Why leafy? What's the big deal? I mean, do you and I go and go, let's cut a leafy branch down and wave it around the neighborhood. We don't do that. Why? Why? Well, let me tell you why. 
Because 200 years before this moment, um, a guy by the name of Antiochus, Antiochus the, uh, Epiphanes IV, you, find, you read about him in Daniel, before he ever existed, Daniel's given prophecy about him. And this guy, he's leaving the Egyptian area. He's a, a Seleucid, a Syrian. And he, um, he's been beat. His army's been beat. He's coming through. He's mad. He's, been, he's mad. And he comes to Jerusalem, and he conquers, and he takes a temple, and he, he takes pig's blood, spills it inside the holy temple of God. He just, guy, profanes it badly. And now... This is where you, some of you heard the Maccabees, the Maccabean revolt. They revel. These Jewish family, the hammer of God. He's called the hammer. Maccabe, Jewish Maccabeus. He rebels, leads the rebellion, and they fight back and fight back and fight back. And they regain the temple and continue to fight the enemy and drive him away. They take the temple back. And on, this began in 167. And on, on December 25th, 165 BC they cleanse the temple they clean it out get everything right and they rededicate the temple and that's where you where Hanukkah comes from guys that's how you get Hanukkah and there's a lot to that story still besides that and so at that time when they're fighting back the oppressor Antiochus Epiphanes IV the symbol of the army and of the nation at that time became the palm branch the palm branch and so now when Jesus is writing in they want to usher in the kingdom of David they pick up the palm branches they've already declared him king the, the, the coats they put down Hosanna save us right now wave the palm it's going to be like the Maccabees we're going to drive these guys out right now let's go get the swords right because it worked 200 years ago here's the point here's my application just because God did it one way before it doesn't mean he's going to do it the same way today did you hear what I said tell him I said hi out there he's not going to do it the same way L listen listen some of you I, I shared this on Tuesday night Bible study I think this past week for you can like let's take church the message never changes because it's the message. But you've got to adjust your methodologies to reach every new generation. Amen? Amen? Us older people have a hard time with that because we've gotten older and we remember the way it was and we like it this way. Will that methodology really reach a younger generation? Do you remember when we were young in church and how the older ones thought, why do you like that music? Anyone? Let's, let's not forget that, Okay. You and I as older people are missionaries to a younger generation. That's what we're giving a lot of our money to and tithing to reach the next generation. Any amens? See, but let's take it home practically. There's things, see, if we keep thinking doing the same thing is going to work when it once worked, it's not going to work now. That's called what again? Insanity? Okay. And the way I told the, this is the way I like to say it, I told them Tuesday night. I said, um, anyone seen any white fronts lately? Some of you don't even know what that is, huh? I'll give you more. Jemco? Zodies? Treasury? Okay, let's go. Mervins? Kmart's almost gone? One blockbuster left in Bend, Oregon? That's it. Sears? 
It's going down. How many, when you were, like, my age, your elementary school clothes, you go to Sears every year to get them. Anybody remember that? Yeah. Some of you won't even walk into Sears anymore. But that was first. Like, we're going to Sears. Right on. See, if we think that just because it worked this way yesterday or last year, that it's going to keep working that way, it's not. We become like that little toy, that little battery-operated car that can't turn, it just keeps hitting the wall. I'm going to get somewhere. No, you're not going to get anywhere because you're not turning. And you're wasting energy and you're wasting time and you're getting nowhere. That's true of your business. That's true of your personal life with God. That's true of your marriage. That's true of everything. You have to continue to change methodologies or else you just get stuck. Am I making sense? See, they think Jesus is going to come and overthrow the Romans because that's what he did to, the, to Antiochus Epiphanes IV. He's not going to do it. He's not doing it. He's not going to do what he did before. It's going to be a whole different deliverance. And we have to remember that for, what I just told you is like gold, man. In fact, let's tithe twice. No, I'm just joking. It's gonna, it will save you so much money. For some of you, it'll save you from having a divorce. It's going to save you. You have to change methodologies at times when the time, you don't change this for change sake, but at times you got to change things. And number five, Jesus checks progress for progress. Jesus checks for progress, doesn't he? Okay, let's look at verse 11. Here he comes. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. Here he is. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. This is Sunday now. Okay, Jesus rides in. Gets off that little colt. Walks into that temple. And the temple looks around. Turns around, leaves, goes to Bethany. Why? Why does he do that? Let me tell you why. Because a couple years earlier, in John chapter 2, Jesus came to the temple and he saw all the tables of the money changers set up. And what did he do? Cleaned it out. A couple years later, he comes back and he comes in there and he looks around. What does he see? It's all set back up again. He cleaned it out, the temple, and he sees it, and it's all set back up again. Next Sunday, we'll talk about this temple cleansing in Mark 11. It's the second temple cleansing. I know a few scholars here and there will say there was only one. Uh, there was two. Here's my question. He is now seen that once he cleansed the temple and you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Once he cleansed the temple, he walks in there again and he sees no progress. The same old sin's been all set up again in the temple of God. You ever wonder how Jesus felt in that moment when he gets there and he goes, are you kidding me? I think he had many emotions, but lest you get a wrong idea of God, let me tell you what the biggest emotion that he felt was. I think he was sad. Let me tell you why that's important. Because how many of us in this room 
we think many times that God is mad at us. Come on, show me. You think God's mad at you? He's not. He's not. He's sad. He, he just gets sad. He's not mad at you. He's just sad for you and I that we've gone back and set up old sinful patterns in our life. You know what the positive thing of all this is? As we'll see next week, he'll clean it out again. He'll gladly clean it out again because he wants what's best for you and I. And he knows that's not the best for you and I. Now, let me drive it home this way. <clears throat> um, so, Luke will write this. He writes that when Jesus got to Jerusalem, in there, and he looks over the city at this time, and of course, he weeps over the city, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who stones the prophets and kills those who are sent her, etc., etc. But he says that Jesus said these words. As he looked over the city, he said, um, Jerusalem, had you known this day, the day that makes for peace, had you just known this day? Now, what in the world does he mean by that? Had you known this day? Let me give it a shot. You gotta pay close attention. This day, had you known this day, today, that's what he's saying. If you go back in time, you find out that uh, Daniel writes in Daniel 9 about a prophecy of 70 weeks of years or 490 years. That prophecy begins with a certain edict to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Well, we find in Nehemiah, Artaxerxes gives Nehemiah, who wants to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the wall, he gives them the okay and he gives them the authority, the letters to pass. This starts this clock of this prophecy. It starts way back then. You find it like in Nehemiah 2.8. Years now are going by. All the way, and Daniel 9 says in the prophecy that at the 69th week of years, or 483 years from the moment it began, the clock's going to stop on those 70 weeks with the editing, the, uh, the, the murder of basically of the Messiah, the prince who is to come, the king. And so Jesus as he moves towards Jerusalem and he comes to the city on Palm Sunday and he looks over the city and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, had you known this day? Had you known this day? Okay. How many of you have ever forgot someone's birthday? That's a pretty big day, right? How many of you ever forgot your anniversary? I'm raising my hand for you. I didn't, I've never forgot. <laughs> um, but those are big days that you don't want to forget, right? You better know this day, huh? Or you're going to be in trouble with people. So certain days are really important. Had you known this day? So when Jesus comes on Palm Sunday, had you known this day? Had you just known? Here's the, here's, here's the cool part. There's a guy in times past, brilliant mathematician, he decides he's going to calculate the amount of days from the moment the prophecy begins in Numbers 2 
I'm sorry, Nehemiah 2, all the way till Jesus rides into Jerusalem. He calculates it. He does all the math. He goes back in time, makes the adjustment for wrong calendars, everything else. And he comes up with 173,880 days to the day. That is 483 years, starting with the moment that prophecy was given to the moment that Jesus stands at Jerusalem right there, had you known this day, 483 years to the day. And there's still one week left of prophecy. That's the great seven-year tribulation. The clock has stopped right now. So when Jesus says, had you known this day, he's saying, all you had to do is count. All you had to do is do the math. You would have known that I'd be standing here right now. Messiah would be here right now had you just done your homework. But you missed it. But you missed it. Isn't that wild? The prophecy is so specific. But here's the thing I want to present to you as an application, as a challenge, as a hope. Do you know this day? Because somebody in this room, a few of you possibly, this day is important because you're not a follower of Christ. Or else you grew up in a family of Christians and you walked away. You don't want you. This is, today's an important day for you. Because what if this is the last day you ever get to hear a presentation of the gospel? What if it's the last day that you ever hear that Jesus Christ died for you and you need to put your faith in him and walk for him? What if this is the day and he said, had you known this day, you should have recognized this was your day to get saved. This is your day. This is your day to turn your life around and commit your life to Christ for the rest of your life. This is the day. See, for some of us, it's a very important day. My important day was August 12, 1979. That was my day. But today, for some of you, it's your day. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, but you know, you know it's time the God-man came and he went to a cross carried your sins and mine and shed that precious sinless blood so we could be forgiven not cover sin but cleanse sin so that when we die we know where we're going in eternity because sin cannot enter into the presence of a holy father it must be cleansed we must be under the blood to get to heaven you cannot work your way to heaven there's no amount of good works that will ever even eliminate one sin from your life because good works do not wash away sin. And so Jesus was the only way. See, Christianity, it's not built on a bunch of rules. It's built on the event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without that, there is no Christianity. This is your day. So I'm gonna give you a chance. If you've never put your faith in Jesus and you'd like to, or you backslid, or you grew up in a family, but you, you just say, I don't want this, but you're here today for whatever reason, and today's your day. Had you known this day, I'm going to give you a chance to receive Christ, put your faith in Him, or rededicate your life right now. Close your eyes, everybody. If you'd like to put your faith in Jesus, become a follower of Christ, or rededicate your life, I want you as a sign between you, me, and God to open up your eyes, look up at me right now. And I'm going to look back at you. And when our eyes meet, you can close them. But do it right now. Now, I want those of you who looked up at me I want you, I'm going to say this prayer. And I want you to repeat it out loud. Everyone here is going to say it with you. Say you're not by yourself. But just repeat this prayer. And as you do, put your faith in Jesus Christ. He is the only God. The only one. There are no other gods. 
He's the only one. He's the one who created heaven and earth, all the universe. He's the one who fine-tuned the entire universe so that you could be alive on earth. It's, you're fitted for it. But he's the one who died for you on the cross and rose from the dead to give you life. So repeat this prayer after me. Put your faith in Jesus as you do. Everyone, say it with him. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would die for me on a cross. Forgive me of my sins. And I know I'm forgiven. Come into my life. Today I choose to follow you with my whole heart for the rest of my life until I see you face to face in eternity. Now let me pray. God, I, I pray for those who looked up. I pray for you. What you just did is the biggest decision of your entire life. Everything else is secondary. Because this will determine where you spend eternity at when you die. And I pray that you now follow up. You get yourself in church. You become a worshiper. You tell other people that you're a Christian now. Get a Bible. Get a simple translation. If you don't have one, in the lobby. Go to the Welcome Center. They'll give you a free one. Read the New Testament. If you're with Christians, they'll show you where the New Testament is. Stay in the New Testament for a couple years. Read about the person who saves you. But I pray for you that your life will now begin to change. The Spirit of God lives in you. Just allow it to. Surrender to that because the power to change now is there for this new life. And God just might change the direction of your life to something that fits who you really are and how He created you. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you, Lord God, in this first scene of the final act of the final week of your life, God. Thank you for all you did today and you are doing today. In Jesus' name, we pray and we all said amen, amen and amen. Stand up with me, everybody. Here we go, with gusto. Lord, keep me outward focused. And fill me with your spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church because I see what I'm looking for and make me into a generous person like you. Now, guys, do you know why we say because I see what I'm looking for? Because if you're not looking for opportunities to share your faith, you will miss it every time. Every time. God bless you guys. We'll see you later. Have a great day. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.